Hello and welcome to the Extra Podcast. Today is Tuesday, like every other day we record. Uh, did I say episode 228? Because it's episode 228. I'm here around a table like every other week with uh, Greg Harris. Hi. Paul Siemens. Yo. Pastor Crystal. Hello. And the, once again, silent Matthew Crocker. <laughs> no one actually knows whether or not he's here. I think, I think that's hilarious. I can verify. Would you... We're eyewitnesses. Okay. He's here. So we can't all team up and agree that he's not here? No. Too late. Ah, shoot. Well, the dust has settled. The, uh, the polls have been tallied and counted, and we are now a liberally run majority country by Justin Trudeau. How do you guys feel about that? You know, I, I uh, earlier in the day, yesterday, I pointed or I made a post or whatever to say, so today we have the privilege of voting, which actually not a lot of Christians worldwide mm-hmm. actually get to be a part of a democracy. And so the fact that we are a part of a society where this is a privilege we can have is, is a total blessing. So we should, we should have voted. And then the second thing I, I brought up was that no matter what the results were, our, our marching orders as Christians is to pray for yep. and respect and uh, submit to leaders. And yep. so whether you you won or lost in the election, I, I had some people ask me like, oh, is it just a foregone conclusion that if you're Christian, you have to vote conservative? Right. I, don't, I don't think that's actually the case. I think a lot of people who aren't Christian voted conservative, and a lot of people who were Christian probably didn't vote conservative. So I, I don't think it's that simplistic. But regardless of how you voted and if you're person got in or if you are in favor of the prime minister or not our marching orders as christians actually don't really change we mm-hmm. we pray for we respect we we fill in the gaps where the government isn't able to care for people we as a church try to step in and do good to all people and especially those who are of the household of faith so it was interesting last night i i was watching on the tv with some friends over and my wife and i we had the well we were going back and forth between the baseball game and the election, whatever. That's what one of the polls was. Who what, who are you going to watch? The, yeah. the election results or the today's game? So I had best of both. I was going back and forth. But I was watching. They, obviously, they start the, counting the tallies in the east, right? And then they move west because of the time change and stuff. And it was interesting to watch the, the liberal count go up, up, up for every riding. And they were, I don't remember what it was, but they were up like, I think, 30-some ridings before any other party got one single seat. Well, Atlantic and cool. Canada. Was, yeah. yeah. And now you look at the map, it's just like red, red, red. And then a blue, orange, red, blue. <laughs> so it's interesting to see just how, uh, even as a nation, there's there's quite a lot of diversity. Mm. It's mm. interesting. Every every so often you get those reactionary votes, right? Where there's like about two or three elections where it's kind of all pretty normal. And then it's just a big swing one way or another. And so it's interesting when those things happen. You see people are obviously reacting against yeah. against something or for something. So Yeah, and that happened during the last one too. And we had the NDP get a record number of seats for themselves and now this one they're kind of back to normal Mm. right you know down lower again because um, uh, traditionally canada has been a liberal country Mm. and people are i guess they've forgiven them for whatever they uh, penalized them for in the last election Mm -hmm. and they're willing to give uh, justin trudeau a chance so Mm. here we are Mm. yeah and I don't know, I may be the only one here. I, I highly doubt it, but I, I'll be very glad when my Facebook and Twitter feed slowly oh. settles down. There, yeah. There is an a, incredible amount of like arguments, banter. There's even, there's some nasty stuff that people mm. say in, in defense, even mm. to, to, well, Facebook friends of theirs, but people you'd think 
would, would could, could be civil and have a good discussion, mm-hmm. they begin to just start slandering each mm-hmm. other and their political views. And mm-hmm. there's, it just seems like there's no end, but. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do think at, at times, don't get me wrong, there are legitimate differences between the parties. There are lots of reasons why you can be passionate and disagree. But in the midst of those disagreements, I think sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that globally speaking, Canada is still in a pretty good spot, regardless of if the liberals or conservatives won in in terms of if you're going to choose a country to live in, Canada would still probably be one of the top ones in terms of freedom and access to services. And yeah, I think we're still in the top 10. So, I mean, not to sound overly optimistic, that's not usually my thing, (laughs) but like the differences are legitimate and yet our country is still a pretty great one to live in. So. I had to laugh yesterday, you know, voting day, whatever. Uh, a friend of mine posted this picture, and maybe some of you guys, some of you listeners have seen it. It was a big conservative logo with the check mark with the red red check. It's basically just telling everybody on your Facebook world, I'm voting conservative. And his comment was, I'm not looking to spark any discussion or any debate or any discourse. Just I'm just putting it out there. And I don't know, That's that just will never happen. Yeah, because that's how Facebook works. <laughs> so he put this out there. And then I sort of watched because I thought it was funny, so I liked it. So I was getting these sort of notifications when anyone would post on it. And a few people were just sort of interacting. Oh, good job, you know, so-and-so, and great work, whatever. But then a few people really wanted to sort of interact with, with his political position. And so it went on and on and on, probably five or eight sort of long rants. And then at the end, he said, at the very end, he said, while I appreciate all this, all this sort of feedback and input, I've, I've gone and deleted all the comments because... This isn't what I wanted. So all these people have put their t- you know, time and effort into their keyboards and interacted with him. And then he just went and deleted it all. Hmm. And then it went back to sort of lighter stuff. Yeah. But I, it just made me laugh because so many people get really, really, you know, it's a personal issue. Oh, totally. I, I just find it discouraging being someone who is in a leadership role to know, like, it's just so hard to please people. And I think all these people that go into politics, I can't imagine how horrifying it would be to wake up every morning and have people criticizing you. I just have a tremendous amount of sympathy for anybody that's going into that political arena. And I think we need to be kind as Christians. And maybe if we have points that we need to get across, you know, get them across in a way that's persuasive and Mm -hmm. in line with our, you know, what we believe, but we have to talk kindly. Like they're doing a huge job and they're not getting any love for it. Yeah. Regardless of, of how good a job they're doing. And Trudeau does have some great hair. I don't know if we can agree on that. He does. You're right. <laughs> Who is it? Uh, a friend of mine. Because everyone's ripping on Stephen Harper's hair. I don't think his hair's that bad, but I asked somebody, what, what, why do people hate his hair? And they said that because he looks like the Lego man. Oh. And I realized, yeah, I think they're kind of right. He does. Yeah, but who doesn't like Lego? Well, that's true. It's kind of... The, this, this whole election... Um, was, that, was that producer Matt? That made that comment? He never talked, so it couldn't oh. have been him. Okay. Well, anyway, this whole election kind of got, it got so juvenile in so many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People, people blasting Harper for the way he looks. Or, it was just, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Right? And then, and then at the same time, they're blasting Harper for the way he looks, yet they're saying they're going to vote for Trudeau because he's young and good looking. And it's like, really? Like, this he, is how we elect way, our leaders now. He is 44, by the way. I 43. Looked it up. 43? Well, that, that's what they said on the news last night. Oh, but okay. maybe... No, okay. I don't remember the, the date of his birth, but it's okay. 70, I it was 71. 71. Yeah. yeah. So if he's, yeah, he'll be 44 soon. But is that young? Is that old? I don't know. I'm 20 something. So I'm like half his age. So that's old to me. He was second youngest. I was surprised that Joe Clark was the youngest. Oh, yeah. Like 39 he was. But, huh. Yeah. 
Well, all right. We should get to some questions. Yeah. We should. So I think wow, Paul's done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you spent too many years in the U.S. What? No. Oh. no, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who are all these? It was names? only three. Three years. Okay. <clears throat> so this this uh, listener is writing in uh, with with regards to street preachers. They had an encounter uh, recently on the street where there was someone. Um, who it says they were they were street preaching deliberately provocatively um, and they were purposely trying to stir people up. Uh, their question is: Is there a place for this sort of abrasive confrontational style of street preaching ever? Uh, and if so, or if not, what are good examples or good alternatives for how we can do street evangelism? So, sort of two parts: Is the abrasive confrontational sort of a little more harsh evangelism appropriate ever? Uh, well, I think I, I know a street preacher who, well, he goes onto a campus down in Florida and he goes there and he has like a, he has a megaphone and, and all this stuff. He goes to the, the free speech lawn that is at this particular campus and uh, he preaches the gospel, but he does it in a way that is uh, loving and courteous. He, he is a very godly man who, uh, Em, or emulates or um, uh, exudes the fruit of the spirit in whatever he does, and and he he gets people that come and still they want to confront him and they want to get angry with him and things. But so so I think there's a place for street preaching, but in terms of doing it in a way that um, calls people down or now I'm not sure what he means by abrasive. If he just means that he's calling people to repent. Um, I mean, that can be done in love. It can be done in anger. Uh, I guess that would kind of depend. So if, if he's doing it in love, though, uh, for instance, I saw a guy even in Vancouver uh, a few weeks ago who was calling people to repent and follow Christ, but he had a smile on his face and was very joyful, and mm -hmm. people were giving him high fives and, and all this kind of And it was like, I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. So, you know, that was, it was confronting people. He was... He was telling people that they're sinners and that they need to repent and follow Christ, um, but he wasn't doing it uh, in anger. Hmm. So I, I wonder, too, how much of our response has to do with where we're at in that moment. Like, And what I mean by that is we're, we're so busy. We're always to and from. Chances are if we're walking down the sidewalk, we're going somewhere. Most people don't just you know, start walking the streets with no destination. Mm. Uh, and I wonder if maybe it's because, you know, we don't have the 30 seconds to stop and listen or, mm. or take a minute and maybe pray with that person um, who's preaching or maybe sort of confront them on their confrontational approach, maybe. Yeah, I think part of the other issue or thing to consider with street preaching is for those who feel so inclined to do so, is that preaching is an act for the benefit of the listener. It's not preaching is not best done into the, an empty space, and yeah. and if someone happens to walk by, so be it. And so I think I think the issue that I have had with street preachers um, is just that it seems like the message will go on regardless of if there's people around, and the engagement with the people isn't actually dealing with the people where they're at, or if they raise a question, actually dealing with it. They, they just want to get through their speech into yeah. the abyss of the air of that street corner. And so uh, to me, it's less an issue about, are you on the street corner and are you trying to 
spark conversations and that kind of thing. I think that's great. I think it's the the idea that I'm just going to stand on the street corner and preach this out. And by doing so, I'm going to be a faithful communicator of God's word. And I can go home and check that box that I did my evangelism for the day. I just, mm. that that's the part where I, I would tend to push back and say, actually, there's better ways to do public evangelism than, than just that. So when we look at like biblical, what kind of biblical examples do we have? So Paul would travel from town to town to do stuff, but he would go into assemblies where people were already there and reason with them and talk to them. And so he wasn't out, he was doing evangelistic work, but he wasn't doing it like to the thin air. Like you Mm -hmm. said, he was engaging with people, um, using their uh, discussion on their gods, using discussions on philosophy, using discussions on different things Mm -hmm. to do it within a crowd that was already kind of assembled for a specific reason. So it wasn't random. So I don't know where we get this idea. I'm trying to think, like, what would be the history? Unless it's just, like, a Great Awakening kind of history, like in England and stuff, where George Whitfield and all those guys did that in the middle of the wheat fields. Would that have been where that precedent kind of started? Or where did we get the idea that street preaching was a good thing? Yeah, I mean, those guys did that. But uh, generally, when they came to the town... Um, you know, people would hear about it and they'd travel to their neighbors and say, George is in town, come listen. And, and this is when he's speaking. And it was like a prearranged time. Or and a... we'll be in a field because that's the only place that we can right. hold everybody. Now, I mean, he yeah. would preach for like hours. So, you know, he would start and people would just assemble because he was there. Mm. So but, there you go, if you're I mean, Whitfield. Yeah. Give her. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, um, I think... Greg's Greg's right. We preaching is uh, we should be thinking about who we're preaching to, and if there's a listener, and you and you want to do it in a winsome manner, you don't want to be doing it in a way that uh, alienates people further. Mm. Um, that being said, I mean, uh, there's seeds get planted in all sorts of crazy ways. So. Totally. Yeah. I I think for people who are listening who feel the impulse to be involved in that kind of proactive kind of ministry, like go for it. We totally need people in the church who want to be involved in that kind of proactive. They feel comfortable enough, even called to being involved in these kinds of ministries. I think they they need to do that because they're probably the people who are gifted most with evangelism. My only advice would be instead of doing it just because you feel like you should and you feel like this is a call is that when you're doing it, when you're trying to, to create those conversations, as you're trying to initiate those engagements with people, be have in your mind that that the point is to actually talk to the person where they're at about Jesus, rather than have you just stand somewhere and start doing it because you feel comfortable doing it. So, but I don't want to in any way make people feel like if they feel called to this kind of a, a ministry of being kind of crazy in a culture where like you just stick to yourself. And the reason why I'm walking is because I'm busy and you can't possibly interrupt someone in the midst of a coffee shop who is on their computer because they're probably really busy. I I don't know. I just think people, when they feel like they need to be involved in that kind of work, they should do it. But just keep in mind that the ministry is for the benefit of the other, Hmm. not just for checking a a box. Yeah. I I see a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, but occasionally I'll see, um, even locally, but sometimes in Vancouver or different cities, you'll see people set set up with, you know, maybe like a board propped up against a, a wall or something with almost tracts or um, little brochures that talk about, hey, is there is there truth in scripture? Is, you know, is the Bible really true? Or was Jesus God? You know, sort of these 
catchphrase sort of questions. Ooh, I can stop and ask these people. They're very friendly. They're just sort of dressed normally. And, you know, if no one's coming up to them, they'll just be talking amongst themselves. And what about that? Do you think that way of, of um, street ministry of sorts, is that confrontational enough where they're happy to just have people walk by? If they're just open to people coming and initiating the conversation, I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. Good. Okay. Anybody else? I agree with Paul. Crystal? Yes. I'm bored. Wow. She's bored. No, well, I, hey, I'm on board. Oh, you're on board. Oh, <laughs> I heard bored. I thought she was saying, get on with the next question. I thought you were saying, no, I'm bored. No. Put this on, the, <laughs> on purpose? Yeah, yeah. Come on. I, I put oh. one of the questions down from Andrew's pile because I asked it last week. Oh, I thought you were trying to be helpful oh, and, good. And, and clear my... So no, no, I'm just saying we already talked about that one, so you don't have to do it. I'm well, trying to should... save you from embarrassment publicly. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and here we are. Yeah. So this question came in from a regular listener with regards to uh, Exodus. So if, could someone open up to Exodus 33? Ooh, Exodus 33. Yes, it's, it's a, a great, great section. And maybe Isaiah 6. So one of you, Isaiah 6. I'm already in Isaiah, so I I'll go Exodus back to 6. Okay, Exodus 33, 11. Okay. Go ahead. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, could you skip down to verse 20? But he said, you shall not see my face for man shall not see me and live. So they're talking about the contradiction between face to face. Yes. Yes. Okay. And Isaiah and, 6. And Isaiah 6. What happens in Isaiah 6? Whoever what, had that. What part of Isaiah 6? The earlier parts. Uh, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a spot where... Uh, we see the glory okay. of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Uh, the There's a seraphim, and each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Hmm. And we see there that it's 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 just the train of the robe that's seen, right? It's filled the temple. Yep, that's right. That's the first verse. Yes, earlier parts. So I, I read it from three backwards to one. Perfect. So <laughs> in Moses... Oh, you have a... Nope, you shouldn't okay. things backwards. <laughs> so in Exodus 33, Moses speaks with God face to face. It says, as with a friend. Then a few verses later, he uh, wants to see God's glory. And so that's where Moses is hidden behind the cleft of a rock. And the Lord says, I'll walk by. You shall not see my face. You'll just sort of see my, the backside of me. Uh, and he comes down from the mountain and his, and his face was glowing. And people were, they, they thought something crazy happened because they were just terrified. So the question is, did Moses see God's face or not? Or can people see God's face or not? So I, we did this in our Bible overview last year. And I'll tell you how I taught it. And you guys can push back to say what it, whether it's right or not. Because I did a bit of research on that. And they said the term that he saw him face, or he spoke to him face to face with a friend was meant to kind of show how intimate the relationship was, that it was a relationship that it was an intimate relationship with God. It wasn't necessarily saying in that first passage that he saw his face, but he spoke to him as he would a friend. Um, so that was the emphasis that the language was giving mm-hmm. to that passage. So but it's face to face like a... It's like an idiom. An idiom. Uh, yeah. Saying okay. it was a very intimate, friendly... That's what I got from my research, but... You can push back if you think that's not right. No, I think, I mean, I'm sure that that, that's exactly what it meant. It sounds like it would be, that sounds like it would be a great idiom for how you would converse with a friend that that you have a good relationship with. Uh, The second question of, will we, 
will we see God's face? I think that's the, that's the incredible miracle of the incarnation is that you have the second member of the Trinity, the eternal son of God who became flesh in a moment and is eternally all God, all flesh. Mm -hmm. So will we, can we see God's face? Well, yeah. And his name is Jesus. And so uh, that that's the, if we aren't continually blown away by the incarnation, then we're not really thinking about it because you have the nature. I want to use that word carefully. The dynamic of the Trinity kind of being tweaked at the incarnation because the son of God was now bodily and then lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously, and now will continue to live eternally physically as a, as a bot in a body. And so, yeah, we'll see God's face in heaven and he'll look like Jesus. So the big wigs from the extra podcast will unanimously agree that there's no contradiction here. I don't think there's a contradiction. Perfect. Right. Paul, you agree? Yes. Matt, silent nod. And I think the idea of seeing God is also um, a recognition of that we're so unholy, we can't enter his presence, right? And so it talks in Revelation about that we will see God, that God will be living with us, dwelling with us. Once sin has passed away and is no more and death is no Mm. more. And so the issue is not so much, it's Mm. just that God's glory is so Mm. amazing that in our sinfulness, we can't see him, Mm. right? But there will be a day when we're perfect and we can. Right. I was leading a, a, a devotion one time or a, like a, a talk at, at one of my youth ministry nights and uh, we we're talking about being made in God's image and what that means. And so I was sort of talking a little bit about, you know, relationships and love and that kind of thing. Uh, and a hand went up and so I said, yeah. And the question was, so is God a man? God the Father. Is God a man? And so I wonder if, if you know, this talk, you know, we're made in God's image, if, if there's a lot of misunderstanding that, that says, well, if we're made in God's image and we're, you know, humans with legs and arms and torsos and heads, maybe that's what it means. So how would you sort of interact with that? Talking about, does God even have a face? About God the Father. Oh, the, the way we see, the way we think, talk to God face to face as I'm talking face to face with you. See, my, I'm going to have a first go with this. Yeah. I, I think that when we, when we think about God the Father, to think of him in human terms, in overly human terms as though we're imposing those on God, mm. is not helpful. No. But God the Father has revealed himself to us through human terms because that's something we can understand. So that's why he's a, we can call him Father who, who cares for us. There's language that talks about God caring for us as a mother cares for her child. And so there's an appeal to, to language about what we understand in our everyday life. Uh, The fact that God made us in his image, um, doesn't mean that God looks, that God, the father looks exactly like us because we were created from matter Mm -hmm. to, to be the kind of, to look like what, what we do. And so, I don't want us to make a direct correlation between because we look this way and we have fathers who look like males and God is a, God is our father and we're made in his image. Therefore he has to have a body just like we do. Right. Yeah. And that that was exactly the question. Is God a man? (laughs) I mean, the God, the father reveals himself in, in, um, male language. Yes. Male language. And then Jesus comes as a man. So 
But um, God is spirit. Right. Like, right. When they talk about, yeah. So right. when we talk about gender yeah. right. for the father, that's a little bit of a that the, category. The, the father really thing is more relational. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. how he relates to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. The language of it. Right. Totally. But if you if you're gonna go the other way, some people want to take that and say, "Oh, God's spirit," and and he's referred to. There's times in the in the Bible where uh, it refers to him in in kind of motherly language, totally. not calling him a mother, but having care for us like a mother cares for her children. Um, but that doesn't give us the freedom to call him a female or call him female language. So it's not mother God that we're dealing with. It's, it's God the Father, because that's how he's revealed himself mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. Right, with characteristics and qualities that nurture and, and love and right. deeply, deeply care for. Right, yeah. like we don't call him a chicken, because there's a verse that says that he cares for us like a hen cares for her chicks. Right. So, yeah. Cool. Matt, you agree? Silent nod. Crystal, are you bored? No, I'm on board <laughs> okay. still. Uh, next question is coming in uh, with regards to organizations, particularly companies, large companies like Google and Facebook, uh, and there are others hmm. that we support. Now, if these companies, these organizations, these whatever, openly support issues like gay marriage or things that don't line up with a Christian, pardon me, worldview or perspective, um, and they're earning money from me or you know, hmm. sort of indirectly, like Facebook hmm. is free. But make no mistake, there's money made by all of us having Facebook accounts. Um, how do we go? Is it okay for us to use Google? Is it okay for us to use Facebook? But before, I'll pause because the second part to the question is just a little throwaway. Also, about a month ago, you guys were arguing, arguing about who is the most hipster on staff at Northview. Mm. And according to this uh, listener, it's Aiden Chan. Oh, by oh, far. Yeah, oh, yeah no, that's a good yeah, Aiden Chan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Aiden, Aiden's quite a mixture of looks. Yeah. So if, if just being a mixture of various looks with yeah. like a waxed mustache and various cool piercings. V, v neck tattoo. And tattoos. And, and if that makes you hipster, then. And okay. his tattoo is in Norwegian because he's half. Right. Chinese. Yes. Half Norwegian. Yes. And he'll call himself. Scandinavian. Right. <laughs> right. His words, not mine. I'm not prejudiced. Okay, so the first question the was question. about supporting the... the. Okay, so, I mean, I'm going to ask a nuancing question just to be Ooh, annoying. It, so it, pastoral. Is yeah. using something the same as supporting it? So for me to Google, can I use Google as a Christian? <laughs> is that me, and not, and not binging it instead, uh, is that me supporting Google? Or me having a Facebook account, is that the same as me supporting them? Just in as a concept. So how would you call qualify supporting? I don't know. Like that's, that's basically what services? I'm asking. But and you could take this a step further to say, like, what, where's this shirt from, Greg? I don't know. Blue Notes, I think. Okay. Let's say like let's look into Blue Notes ethics for a for a minute, you know? It's probably not great. Probably not great. Or or the, the your Apple iPhone sitting right there. You know, we could go. We could sure. do this with anything, right? The yeah, co- we're, the coke you drink. You know, we're called we're called to live in the world, but not of the world, right? So, we, by living in the world, we're going to assume that the world systems. If we look at the kind of the three, I don't know if it's just reformed or if it's traditional Christianity, but um, the the world, the flesh, and the devil being the three things that we are constantly struggling against. Mm. So the world would include world systems, world um, 
world organizations that are that we're constantly coming into um, in in touch with, and that could be through things we buy, that could be through just dealing with our government through voting, right? Like we're we're dealing with um, world systems that are against God and against His kingdom, um, but we still have to live in that. So how are we supposed to do that? Is it okay to to buy things? Well, I mean, if if you're going to live in North America. Uh, and you're going to purchase things. You're going to be dealing with people who aren't Christians. You're going to be dealing with people who are who hold blatant uh, attitudes that are against God. Mm-hmm. So whether that is Google or whether that is the baker down the road or whatever, I mean, you're going to be coming into contact with that all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's okay to use Google, and I think it's okay to go buy baking from your non-Christian. Baker, who who may be an avid supporter of something that you don't agree with, we'll, we'll take the homosexuality issue out. Sure, of it. or or I, I'm or go and buy um, go and buy samosas from your Sikh, uh, right? Like, I mean, he's not a Christian. If if somebody was to convert in his family, he's probably pretty upset. If somebody, if a Sikh, I mean, it's just pretty common knowledge that in, if a Sikh person converts to Christianity, many people in their family get upset. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got people that we deal with all the time in, in Abbotsford, in Vancouver, Canada, that are against God and against Christ. And I do think that when it comes to like our buying habits, we do need to be ethical yeah. uh, as much as possible. It's not like we can just say, oh, well, because the world is evil and Blue Notes, I don't know if this is true, uses slave labor, then... It doesn't matter because, I mean, everyone's opposed to God, so I'll just buy Blue Notes anyways because it's cheaper. Mm. But I think there's two important factors when it comes to understanding of ethics and our buying practices. One is is our awareness of it. So if someone doesn't know, like, I don't know what Blue Notes' patterns of how they get their clothing. Maybe I should go research that and find out. And if I find out that they actually have really unethical practices, I think my conscience would tell me to not buy from Blue Notes anymore, to instead buy my clothing from a place where they are, the, the people who are employed to make the clothing are employed fairly and are treated well. I think that's a that's a conscience issue now. Um, but I, I think that just because someone is ignorant about it doesn't mean that they're guilty of committing the act. I think once we're aware of it, then it's up to us to say, okay, how do I respond ethically in this situation? Yeah, and I, I think didn't something like this come up in the last couple of years where this uh, this Joe brand um, was found to be making things in China uh, under unethical practices? Didn't this? I, I think this came up in the last couple of years, and and so a lot of people were like, "Oh, I'm not buying Joe brand anymore," and that and that's okay, but I think when you look at a country like China that is so secretive and closed and communist and against human rights in general, I think you can, you can have a pretty safe assumption that people are going to be t- being treated poorly over there mm. if any of your clothes are made over there. And almost all our clothes are made in yeah. China. So are we going to buy nothing from China now? Mm. And, I, and I've heard the argument going the, uh, the other way and saying, well, you know, it's, it's unethical, it's sweatshop, it's child labor, it's whatever. But it's, it's worse for us to stop buying because then these people who are being treated so poorly are now... Then they, they don't nothing. get anything. No, no, no. They lose their job. 
I mean, we're talking right. large scale, long term, big picture. Yeah. You know, people are losing jobs, that kind of thing. Then where, yeah. where there was a circumstance where they're being treated very poorly, now there's a circumstance where they can't even earn an income for themselves. Um, and so it seems to me that this issue is kind of, it's circular. Right. Yeah. And I, I think you pray about it. You, if you have a very strong conscience against uh, buying stuff from countries that have poor human rights records, then then fine. Go and, go and find clothes that are made in places and are done with completely ethical practices. Um, MCC has a, a store called 10,000 Villages. You can go there. They, they make sure if there's fair trade being done with all their products mm-hmm. that they bring in. Uh, go, and buy, go and buy everything from there. How does that work then? Like, let's say, Crystal, if you decided to replace all of your kids' clothes, all of your utensils in your kitchen, everything so that you're positive that everything is ethically sourced. Yeah, I don't know. Right. And the cost and you started buying all your food was, you know, fair trade or whatever, organic, whatever. That that cost now is that the stress, the financial stress it now puts on your family and on you is that then because that comes into a play, right? Because now maybe your kid can't play hockey or you know, yeah, now know. you might not be able to make your mortgage payment because you've spent so much on buying $18 half pound bag of coffee because you know it comes from, you know, wherever. Yeah, it's tricky. I, I have not taken the time to research a lot of stuff. Yeah. Where I kind of draw the line is where I uh, give money to and support. And I think that's kind of where I intentionally mm. invest in. Um, I want to be careful that I'm doing that in a place where I feel like I really believe in what they're doing. Mm. Um, I haven't bothered too much to worry about where things come from. I mean, maybe I should more, but um, there's just, I just don't have the time to research everything. I can't imagine doing that. I mean, I know there are people that are really committed to it. We traveled once with a guy who, like every other bank, well, I can't train my money at that bank because they do this, and mm. I can't go buy this kind of banana because this banana is from there. And and it just got exhausting. And I could, I could kind of appreciate the fact that he had all these boycotts, but it was like, I, I don't know. How do you go about researching all that kind of stuff to know that you're always on the right side of everything? Yeah, I, I don't know either, <laughs> honestly. Matt, do you know? But there are people that are really committed, you know, like to buy the environmentally. Like you go to Granville Island or mm-hmm. some of those shops, like people, yeah. you know, the environmentally sensitive. The, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and I don't want to just write them off. No, I like, think it's I, a value. I do think that there's yeah. value in that. I think that that not every individual can be equally focused in their attention on every good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is why community is really important is because we'll have the people who insist on fair trade and they raise our attention to these things yep. and rightly so. And then we have other people who raise our attention to other issues going on and rightly so. Yeah. And so as long as we're, we're constantly willing to be challenged and critiqued and then live in light of those critiques, for the better, I think you're on a good trajectory. Mm-hmm. But I also think you could obsess over making sure that everything you put on your body or put in your body has been dealt with 100% fairly without any uncertainty could actually become a little bit of an idol yeah. for you. And your self-righteous meter might just go off the charts yeah. because you think, oh my goodness, you guys, all you guys wearing Gap clothing are losers and I'm the real Christian because I only buy from 10,000 villages and the rest of you guys don't even understand what it means to be a Christian. Hmm. So we do need to curb our, our love for these things because it can turn into a false God where, 
we, we're just like great. We're like Pharisees, right? Right. There are a lot of good. It, it seems like sort of with any particular thing, whether it's a food or clothing or you know, hair gel or any any sort of type of line of product, there is a company who's trying to sort of revolutionize and change the way the you know the the production and and stuff like that happens. Like for example, Tom's. Greg, I know you own Tom's, so I do. Good, I have a good pair. on you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> But when Appreciate you bought that, that pair of Toms or your wife or whoever bought them, it's my understanding that Toms then yeah, bought another donate. pair of shoes yeah. for someone who yeah, needed them. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> they, by the way, they're in the coffee business now. Oh, I good. was at a conference two weeks ago and they were giving out samples of their new coffee. And it tastes like shoe. <laughs> shoe leather. <laughs> shoe leather coffee. That's great. Oh, dear. Cool. Any closing thoughts on that? No. Okay, no. good. Crystal, are you bored? <laughs> I'm getting there now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think about? <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. No, go. Nothing happens. Next. What do you guys think about life insurance? Let me. Just whether let... we should have it or not. Yeah. Whether we should have it or not. Whether whether it's is it is it a demonstration of a lack of trust in God or a lack of faith, uh, or is it okay? Is there room for getting getting um, life insurance as? as as stewards of our money, is it a worthwhile thing? Is God okay with it? You can answer any one of those. Yeah, I think uh, having life insurance is an okay thing to do because as uh, parents uh, in particular, um, for me as a husband and father, I am ca- I am called to care for my wife and children, mm-hmm. and I need to provide for them. And if I die... Uh, and my wife is a stay-at-home mom, and we have four kids, she's going to have no income and no way of making money. So um, by having life insurance, that gives her something to fall back on, at least for a period of time, while she sorts things out. So yes, uh, I think life insurance is a good and prudent thing to do. Uh, Back in, in... areas or if, if you have a very tight community, if you live in a culture such as, say, the Amish or maybe in another country where the village is very tight or your community is just, just very tight and intricate yeah. and everybody's involved in each other's lives, it might not be necessary because people will give that way. And, and it would be great if everybody could say uh, that they're that the people in their church, their church would, would provide for them that way. But many of us um, in the church, we give to the church, we, we give to other people and everything, but um, if, if somebody was to pass away and now we have to provide for another person, that would strap many of us financially, and which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, but I think having, if you have that life insurance, at least to fall back on at the beginning, and then uh, if the church could come in and supplement that, uh, again, maybe it's only for a time, whatever, uh, it is good for the community to... to so what if your life insurance policy, in. your life insurance provider is has unethical practices? Oh, yeah, you just don't <laughs> even look into it. Don't worry about it. I, you know, I think the... I, I totally agree with Paul. I think this is a, a loving others issue, and this is a stewardship thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes a lot of sense from both the loving others, your family, and from a stewardship perspective to do it. And I don't think in any way it it betrays some sort of 
lack of faith in God to provide for your family, because the Lord will use miraculous and ordinary means to provide for us. And just because the way that we have provision, it seems more ordinary and as boring as insurance, doesn't mean it's not the Lord providing it. And so right. if, we, if we only chalk up things to God that are completely out of the ordinary and miraculous, then we're going to miss out a lot of how God wants to commonly pour his grace out upon us. Andrew, what does James tell us uh, good religion is? Do you know? I do, but I'm, I'm going I'm to find it. I'm going to read it. Uh, okay. Sorry, but Google it. Google but it. it what James, James tells say? us that good religion is caring for widows mm-hmm. and orphans. So if there's a widow, uh, even if she has life insurance, the church should step in mm. and help that widow. Mm. Um, and whether that the church at that point looks like the organization, if you go to a church like Northview, it's a very big church. So the church as a whole might go in. Maybe it's uh, the widow's community group. Mm. Uh, maybe it's her women's Bible study and the families that are involved with that that, that jump in. But uh, in any case... The church is called to help her. So uh, we shouldn't mm. look when somebody when somebody passes away and there's a single, maybe even a single husband or a single wife left behind uh, with uh, with the responsibility of now caring for themselves and kids. Uh, as a church, we shouldn't look at that and go, "Oh, they sh- they have life insurance. She's good." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Okay, we're still called to love them, yeah. and we're still called to care for widows and orphans, because mm-hmm. that, uh, I think James says, it's good and perfect religion. It's and exactly think, right, 127. Yeah. I think there's also a reality check that as much as we do want to put these things in place, we also want to be aware in our own minds of where our security is lying, mm. because I know there's been times, I didn't think I was a materialistic person, because I'm not a big buyer or spender, but when my husband got a commission job and I didn't know when money was coming in, that's mm. when I realized where my security was. It was mm. in the fact that... Right. I would be getting monthly and I could know and I could plan ahead. And all of a sudden when that was taken away, I realized how nervous I was about that and how I didn't like relying on God. And I wanted to know, I wanted to have those numbers coming in. And so I think it's a good thing for us to think about, like as much as I think we should be responsible, mm-hmm. you know, how much are we relying on that? And mm-hmm. if that's taken away, yeah. what are, where are we left with? Our, is our faith still going to hold? And I'm mm-hmm. glad God has brought me to those places where I've had to face that because yeah. I realized how much I put faith in those those black numbers in mm, the bank account right. rather than the red, mm. right? Would you guys go as far as, as saying um, or not that not having life insurance would be would is possibly negligent? Like f- for me to, to just, well, whatever, because the last part of the question just says, should we just let God figure it out? Should we just mm. trust, just sort of whatever, throw, throw that to the wind? So, some, is people, that reckless? some people don't have the means to buy for something like that. Some people... You know, they're they're looking to take care. So, for instance, if he's, you have a husband and wife, they're married and they have some kids and the wife needs to take care of the kids at home and uh, or even if they choose to do that because they don't want to put their kids in daycare. But the husband only, he doesn't make a lot of money. Maybe he doesn't have the means to do that. That's, that's okay. Um, but he should be looking at a way to provide for his mm. family and he should be looking... Uh, how if if there was a terrible accident, what would happen? There should be a plan in place, right? That doesn't necessarily have to be life insurance. It could be family. It could be church. Mm-hmm. Whatever but that is, we're not going to want to call it sinful. No, to not have a life insurance. Policy. No, absolutely not. Right, and so using whether it whether it 
it's family or the church or life insurance. This is these are all different ways that God does provide. And I mm-hmm. think just sort of jumping on what you said, Greg, God uses means. God uses human agency. He uses us to mm. to make these things happen, mm. um, which is one of the reasons why I love the Lord, because He uses broken people mm. to make stuff happen. That's great. So. I think we have time for one more question. We do? I think so. Wow. wow. Crystal, are you on board? Sure. Okay. Matt, Matt's giving you some hand signals there. Five I don't minutes know what they left? Mean. Four minutes left? He's saying we've been going for 45 minutes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So what does that mean? It means it's a heavy one. So maybe we'll wait till next week. So if you are listening and you're like, no, read it. Talk I, about I it. I need more. You will just have to tune Cliffhanger. in next week. You're not even going to read it and tell them what it is. Should I? Yeah. Tell okay. them what's coming up next yeah. time Whoa. on the Extra Podcast. Next week, we need a radio voice. Maybe, Paul, you should. Next time should on do. the Extra Podcast. <laughs> yes. We'll be talking a little bit the about... question from here. Because <laughs> it's upside down. We'll be talking a little bit about uh, hell and whether or not there's biblical precedent that tells us if it's a real place, if it's actually eternal, um, and if it's a core doctrine. So you will not want to miss it because we will get some big heavyweights theological so as, heavyweights as the week goes on you think about that <laughs> what's his name steve brown that's how we should end correct every, that's how we should end every episode is do a, a little teaser that. for next week you think about and that. say for the next week you think about that <laughs> in the meantime uh god is good uh mm. love your neighbor go blue jays i hope they win tonight anybody else i hope they win for the sake of toronto as a city because I think if they don't win Toronto will no longer be a city it'll be a burned ash heap and the CN Tower will be the CN ash tray <laughs> like I think the city will lose its mind there are a lot more smokers in the east so it might already be <laughs> oh dear well I think that's all we have for now so tune in next time for a discussion on hell thank you for listening <laughs>